Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is the ever-energetic Nate Morton, drummer for NBC's The Voice. His career spans multiple decades and performances with some pretty damn good artists such as Paul Stanley, Madonna, Chaka Khan, Natalie Cole, Vanessa Carlton, Miley Cyrus, Poe, and believe me, many more. Nate is a monster player that knows exactly how to match the playing for the song element with his own unique and powerful creative voice. No pun intended. This was such a fun conversation and we talked for hours and for the sake of focus, I condensed this a little bit, but I guarantee you'll be hearing a lot more of our chats in future episodes. So enjoy my conversation with one of my favorite humans, Nate Morton. Oh, and as the title suggests, we discuss the top five drumming moments that shaped his style. And they're a little unique, trust me. My primary live gig, if you will, is the show at this point, you know, which, like, oh, poor me. I'm not, you know, bemoaning yeah. that. It's a great gig, and I love I'll to have say, it. Yeah. I'll but, send you a sympathy card. This is, I'm sorry. Right, right. Are you Are you playing the world's smallest violin for me? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. no, it's yeah, a yeah. great gig. It's a great, 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 great gig. And um, we used to do, there used to be a part of the show where we would do these um, sort of press event gigs, and we would do it once a season. And it would be at a club. When it still was here in L.A., we, it would be like the House of Blues. But in more recent history, we did it once at, um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's formerly the Coconut Teaser. And then we did it once at Sayers Club. But it was literally like a club show where when we got down to a certain number of contestants, the band and those contestants would go into a club show. And it was interesting because it was usually chaotic and uh, cramped and like like tight time schedule and people freaking out, yelling about why this doesn't work or why that doesn't work. And it was so refreshing because I would go, ah, club gig. This is a club gig, man. <laughs> yeah. This is what it is. Like, like you're going on, like the person's going, okay, you guys are on in 30 seconds. And it's like, I don't have the snare drum. I don't have the snare drum. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Steve. Like, like they're, so, they're so great. It's like... You know, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in my life reflecting. I spend a lot of time in my life, Ben, like thinking back to to how I would have viewed things two decades ago, like more even, three decades ago. So, for example, in a situation like a club show, like my first club shows that I ever, ever did, it was like, holy crap, I'm, I'm, I'm playing a show on a stage in front of people. What? What do you mean there's a mic on my kick drum and my snare drum? <laughs> you know what I mean? What 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 do you mean yeah. like what do you, what do you mean the, the like like flashing back to high school? What do you mean the guitar player and the bass player aren't playing through the same KB100 amp? <laughs> you know, <or laughs> yeah, KB300, exactly. right? And so so when we do a club show like that, a lot of the time people are running around, they're stressing out and they're flipping out. And I'm just going like, this is why I got into this. Like, this is why I do this. This kind of energy, like the fun of it. You know, we'll do we'll do times on the show. I, I promise you, by the way, Ben, at some point I'll let you actually start this podcast. But we do, <laughs> we, we, we um, do, uh, t- there's a time period in The Voice where everything in the schedule is so compacted that we'll sometimes have days where we're recording 
at uh, you know we're recording tunes in the studio to release on iTunes at eleven o'clock at night, twelve o'clock at night. Maybe we'll finish at twelve thirty, right? And 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 just as I'm starting to go like, oh my god, I've I've been here since you know ten this morning. It's twelve thirty. We're still not fi- just when that thought starts creeping into my head. I remind myself that when I was in college, I would do recording sessions in the studios at, at, at Berkeley College of Music that were scheduled midnight to four. That's my block. Hey, we're going to record these two songs. The session is midnight to four. And I would be stoked to have it because I would go, oh my God, mm-hmm. you know, this particular student who is really well revered around campus called me to play on their two songs. Twelve o'clock to four. Boom. Done. What do you mean? Like it would it didn't like the thought, like, really? Like twelve to basically dawn? Like never enter my mind. So whenever I'm doing this now and I find myself in a situation that even remotely resembles that, I remind myself that this is something that I don't have to do. This is something that I get to do. The one thing that would stress me out the most about your gig, it's not so much the people knowing how many people are watching, because it's like they're not in front of me, so I could maybe block that out. How do you deal with the stress of knowing that if you mess up, you might mess up that singer's like chance to make it on? Because like if, if you kind of drop a beat in a weird way, they might mess up in their own head, and then they don't get picked. No, no, that's 100% <laughs> oh. legit, and it is something that I think about. So for the vast majority of the show... What is going on musically doesn't necessarily directly affect the contestant. Here's what I mean by that. If we're playing a battle round or if we're playing a live show or whatever, if I kind of flub a fill or if I kind of mess something up or if something is not exactly as planned, you know, probably okay because at that point, the viewing public is voting on how much they like the performer. Or they may mm-hmm. even be voting on like that performance performance, but but a lot of it has to do with like what team they're on. Do I like this guy or not? Do I think this girl yeah. is a cool, you know, performer or not? Mm-hmm. But in the blind auditions, that's when it's the heaviest because I think to myself, if I mess this up, and if this contestant doesn't get a chair turn. Am I to blame? <laughs> so there are times. It's like a surgeon, so, yeah. It's complete. So there are times when, and you know, look, man, I don't mind being completely honest here. I make mistakes. You know, there's times. Sometimes a mistake might be something that only I know. It might. It might be something that I think like, uh, I wanted to play this fill. It was cooler, but then I end up playing some other fill that I think is lame. If you mm-hmm. don't hear the fill in my head that I meant to play, then you don't necessarily know that I made a mistake. But I do, or I know that I didn't play what I wanted to play. So in those instances, if that moment goes by, as the song is going on past that, I'm going, oh, man, please, someone turn. Please, someone turn. Because if, if, if no one turns, I'm going to, in my head, think it's because I didn't play the cooler fill. Um, so, yeah, so that is something that I think about. But then sometimes I joke about it as well, because sometimes I may, sometimes that may have happened. But then it in no way affected the band's performance. Just the mm-hmm. contestant may have made a mistake. The contestant may have yeah. done something, you know, that, that wasn't their best self. And I'll get on the, the comm, to our, our band, our music department comm, and I'll go, Paul, 
my musical director Paul. I'll go, Paul. Did they, did they not get a turn? Because I, I, I poorly executed the sixteenth note fill going into the pre-chorus. <laughs> Go. I hope Paul goes, yeah, actually. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly it, actually. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, uh, but I, Nate, but I but, do. Uh, yes, I do think. You it's ruined funny. her life. Yeah. It's, it's funny, Ben, you mentioned um, thinking about, you mentioned your ability to be in that scenario, and because there's not 16 million people in the room kind of blocking out the fact that there's 16 million people watching at home. Mm-hmm. So I used to play a show back in the day on CBS called Rockstar. And I never, ever thought about the fact that I was on TV, ever. Like, it didn't dawn on me. Like, I mean, there's cameras running around and whatever, but there's like an audience in the room, and that's who I'm playing to, and it's a live show mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, so I never thought about the fact that there were, there were people at home watching. And I got an email, and it was a very nice email, and, you know, great job on the show, and the band rocks, and you guys are really cool, and it's such a neat thing, and da da da, da. And then it ended with... And I'm so proud, you know, that you never forget you're representing a drumming community of millions. <laughs> Here, hold my metaphorical baby. Exactly. Hold my <laughs> metaphorical don't... baby. Exactly. And so I never thought about it <laughs> yeah. like that until that person wrote that email to me. Don't forget, like, a nation of millions of drummers are counting on you to you know do a good job so so anyway but no i don't i don't think about it i i do i do admit though i briefly well not briefly actually it made up quite a bit of my 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 childhood and into my early adulthood was uh studying concert piano and concert piano Mm. it would be hard to come up with two more disparate things than playing drums in a rock band and concert piano in in the rock world Basically, you're playing, people are yelling, maybe they're yelling good things, maybe they're yelling bad things, maybe someone's throwing a drink, or someone spills something on the stage, or whatever, there's just all kinds of mayhem that can happen, and that's like not even scratching the surface. Concert Mm. piano, it's you, I mean, at the level that I got to anyway, it's you, and you alone, and you're walking out on stage by yourself, and you're wearing a suit, and the auditorium is like pin drop quiet you can hear the click clack of your shoes walking all 27 paces from the side of the stage to the piano you play the piece well first you bow there's applause you sit down you play the piece hopefully you execute it halfway okay you stand up you bow there's applause you walk off it's all very mellow quiet subdued and when i would attend like i would go and see my instructors play there's a point to this, I, I promise, Ben. When I would see my instructors play, I would go to the Meyerhoff Symphony Hall uh, in, in, in Baltimore to watch one of my instructors play a concert, for example. And in those silent moments when they're walking across the stage or when they're sitting quietly before they play a piece or you know, before they walk out and it's pin drop quiet and I'm sitting watching, it literally, in the way that a drug addict would shake and 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 grab the the arm of their chair if you were to put available drugs in front of them and they didn't want to do it that's the way i would sit in my chair to stop myself from standing up and screaming at the top of my lungs i literally got nervous because i wanted to stand up and just go ah! so 
there's still a part of that in my DNA. So when we're playing the shows on The Voice, there's still a part of me that goes, if I just jumped out from behind the drum set in the middle of a live show, I could just <laughs> run out into the middle of the stage and scream at the box. Now, now, I said this once. I said this once to Byron. I told I'm so sorry, Ben. I've completely and totally hijacked this whole process. I said Dude, this thanks for having me on your show. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Just edit all of this out. I said this once to Byron, who is our head of security on the show. Super cool, dude. But Byron is like yeah. a good, like, I, I'm giving Byron like a good, like, foot. Maybe like a foot and, and, and two inches or so. And, of course, he's got a whole team and a whole staff. And I was like, Byron, what would ever happen if I did that? And he said, well, Nate. People in the audience who you don't even know are security would immediately <laughs> wrestle you to the ground and you would be arrested and taken to jail and the camera would never be on you and you would never be seen and it would be off or not. And I said, <gasps> oh, okay, yeah. good. <laughs> um, so, welcome to Big Fat Five. <laughs> Silly rabbit. And I did want to say. are for kids. <laughs> If you guys are just tuning in, this is hour five of our conversation. Exactly. It's a telethon. <laughs> it's called Big Fat Five Hour Podcast. Um, this whole thing is, is kind of to hear what people have borrowed from other drummers or stolen from other drummers or whatever. Uh, you know, put in their own little blender and then, you know, made their own. But I will say I have blatantly ripped off you. Uh, I actually just had Kirky B on the podcast a few oh, weeks I ago. And there's... There's a there's a drum channel uh, interview you guys did where you talk about simple. I forget what it's called. I'll drop it in the show notes. But it's like maximizing simple fills. Sure. And you do one where it's basically a four note grouping, just uh, kick, kick, right, left, and you put it over sixteenth note triplets. And I do that all the time. So Yay. you are essentially one one of my big fat five Yay. currently. Okay, so now so, I realize you're saying that to be nice and like I appreciate it, but like, and I'm not, I don't mean to, I don't mean to make this bigger than it is. I really, really, that, that means a lot to me because if you walk into a session and someone says, give me like a, like one of those like Kenny Aronoff kind of beats. Like that means something. That probably means doof, doof, gas, but doof, but doof, gas, but doof, because he's kind of like, Patented that, right? If someone says, mm -hmm. "Oh, give me like like a like a Keith Moon kind of thing," or "Give me like a fill in the blank kind of thing," to me, when I'm like long gone, if anyone would ever say, "Oh, like you know, like that uh, Nate Morton kind of fill that thing," I'd be like, oh! "So the fact that you just went, oh yeah, no, I stole that that fill from you," like I mean, and you didn't steal it from me because I didn't invent it. But, like, but that's, that's, it, it's amazing that you would even sort of venture to attach my name to something that you play. Like, that's amazing. So, thank you. You literally just made my friggin' year. And I'm not joking. Oh. Well, and I wasn't just saying it to be nice. It is, I've, I've wanted to get you on for a long time. And uh, that, uh, 
that that same fill I'm talking about where you go kick, kick, floor tom, hi-hat, and then cross your hands over, do it that way. Mm. I, I end a lot of songs with that because it just looks cool, you know? And you totally. can do it. If you do it quick enough, it sounds so tight. Oh, and man. it's it's once you get it, it's so fun to execute because you just get in that pocket and you just, it's it's amazing. So You're, you're so fully flattering an old guy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that your parents have taught you respect and, and, and flattery of your elders will will go far. Well, cheers, man. <laughs> um, before we get into the Fat Five, I want, I've want i heard you talk a few times about how, you, I think last time I heard you say it was, it was tied for Berkeley and moving to L.A. being kind of the two biggest decisions you made. Exactly right. Because with a lot of the drummers that listen to this kind of really focus on social media and they start to question, well, do you, you know, in this day and age, do you need to move to LA? Can you just focus on growing your social media and get gigs that way? What is your, has that perspective changed? Um, and I have my own opinions on it, but I'm just curious what yours, yours is. Let me first start by saying that much of the knowledge that I have and much of the experience that I pull from is as your question sort of implies i mean it's like two decades old knowledge it is it's like two decades maybe three decades old knowledge that said <clears throat> when i first moved to la i found it very daunting that everywhere i went there were musicians or people working in the music industry everywhere everywhere so like you know i go to i go to the mcdonald's drive through and the guy sees I'm wearing a Pearl T-shirt and goes, oh, you you play drums? Yeah, I play drums. Oh, cool. I play bass. Oh, wow. That's great. Mm -hmm. So at first it was very daunting because it was like, wow, all these musicians just like everywhere not playing music. But then <laughs> yeah. I totally flipped my perspective on it and I realized like, oh, well, what that means is there are opportunities everywhere, right? So that guy at McDonald's. And I and he says I play bass. Oh, by the way, I'm in a band. It's called you know, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. And I go, oh, that's cool. You know, write that down. Give me your number. Okay, cool. Cut to Jumpin' Jehoshaphat needs a drummer, and you get a call from Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. And then cut to three years later, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat is signed and on tour. You know, you know what I'm saying? And obviously, I'm painting like a like a like a like a fairy tale. But my point is in saying this. Yes, I absolutely encourage anyone whose path I cross have an online presence. It's no longer um, uh, do you have a demo? Like, do you have a demo is a phrase that no one says anymore. It's either do you have an EPK or it's send me links. Right? So that is definitely the new paradigm and that is definitely what I encourage people to be prepared to have ready to represent them. However, it doesn't mm. completely remove that aspect of getting your Big Mac and shake from the bass player from Jump Jehoshaphat at the McDonald's drive-thru, right? So if I could sort of even just bring that home, all throughout my career, I've listened to lots of different things. And whenever any new thing has come along, it's never replaced or supplanted the last thing. It's just been added in. So is the internet and the online community and social media a super duper powerful tool? Absolutely. But should it completely obliterate the fact that 
being seven miles from Capitol Records is an important thing? No, it should not obliterate that. Should it obliterate the mm-hmm. fact that if you go to hear a band at the Viper Room, you might meet someone there who then calls you to do something with their band? It does not obliterate that. That is still very, very, very important. So to this day, if I get that message or that call or email or text or whatever, hey, Nate, I'm the, the, the first call guy in Lawrence, Kansas. What do I do to take my drumming to the next level? The first thing I say is, are you able to move to a place that is a larger music mecca than Lawrence, Kansas? With all due respect to Lawrence, mm-hmm. Kansas. But also then, yeah. my second part of that is, if you are not, or, or even if you are, quite frankly, that social media aspect should be a part of it. And I, I, I agree with you. I'm happy you doubled down on that because I do want our listeners to hear it from someone who has the perspective that you do. Um, because it, it is important. You know, it's like, I feel, I feel like a lot of people are skipping ahead, are skipping a lot of the important parts of building a reputation by being in the trenches, as opposed to getting, you know, building a reputation by being in your basement. And I know I'm generalizing. I know some of my, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people that live in smaller areas that have a great social media presence. They're amazing drummers, but I'm also, I'm with you. Here's the thing. When I was, when I was in Boston, when I was in Boston, I would see drummers that I was not familiar with playing with new artists mm-hmm. on those late night talk shows. I would stay up, right? If some, if whatever the yeah. current new artist was was going to be on Leno or O'Brien or SNL or whatever, I would I would stay up to watch it. Well, not stay up. I was a college student. I didn't sleep, but I would watch <laughs> it. And a lot of the time, I would go, "That guy has the gig, and you don't, because that guy lives." where that gig is and that's still the case so in other words Mm -hmm. even if you're the burning guy in topeka kansas and you have the burning online presence that is amazing and i commend that but just Mm -hmm. know there's a guy who lives in los feliz who also has a burning online presence you know, and for anyone listening to this who doesn't know, Los Feliz is a burb of L.A. So, yes, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, that's where I, that's kind of where I come down on it. I love it. I love it. And I like I said, I, I agree. So. So big fat five. Let's just hop right into it. And number one is Kiss. I was made for loving you, baby, from the album Dynasty. And I had to do some uh, some research on this because I assumed it was Peter Chris, but it actually is Anton Fig. On this song. Now, see, that's interesting because you just you just enlightened me. I actually didn't even know that, but I'm getting a little bit of my memorabilia oh. here. Urgh. This is the first album that I ever owned. This is the first album that I myself ever went to the store and spent. Actually, am I lying? No, no, I'm not lying. No, this is it. Yeah, Kiss Dynasty, 1978, and that's autographed by Paul Stanley and by Gene Simmons. I, I I hate the fact that I have to say this, but uh, it's kind of the reason why I did this this podcast. Is because selfishly, I don't think you should necessarily always study your heroes. You should study what they listen to, and then you can funnel it through your own perspective. But Kiss um, has it's not a band that I've gone down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I'm happy for you to enlighten me a little bit because I really don't know much about Kiss. Okay, Ben. Here's what. But here's what you need to understand. Now, you and I had a chat. Your <laughs> listeners may not know this, but you and I had a chat prior to, and I said, so, yeah. Big Fat Five, do you mean, like, 
most influential on me or do you mean like on the like the drumming community or do you mean like bleh? and you basically opened the door you said people have interpreted it yeah. in a variety of ways so feel free to sure. interpret it in 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 your in your way so yeah. i will preface everything that follows with that there's a particular fill and it's literally it's like it's like the guitar line leads up to it. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, I think this record came out in 78. 77 or 78. And I would have been like 6 or 7 years old, and as a 6 or 7 year old, and I'm playing on my, you know, little drum set and I'm trying to play the songs and so on, there's that fill going into I think the chorus that is as simple as bang. And even though I didn't have I didn't have four toms, I had two toms, but I could voice that snare, tom, tom, floor tom, bam. And at six or seven, it's one of those things where I was like, I can I can kind of do the thing the drummer on the record just did. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And so I found that super inspiring. So it was one of my favorite songs to listen to, one of my favorite songs to play. And when that fill came along and I could actually play along the fill to it, it was meaningful. It was like, it was like, ding, you are on the right path. And that's and that's why it. that song. I, you're right. And it's also too the earliest, it's the earliest representation of that happening for me. Right? Mm -hmm. Six years old, that was my or seven years old. That was my first like, you might be on to something here. With this whole drumming thing. Well, hey, let's just uh, let's go ahead and play that. And the fill that Nate's talking about is actually I'm going to start at around 2:45. If you guys want to reference it yourself, but uh, yeah, let's just play this fill he's talking about from the song "I Was Made for Loving You, Baby" from uh, Dynasty. And we're back. Again, uh, I, th I assume that was Peter Chris. He actually only did one song on the record, and I don't know what the song is, but it's one that he wrote. But Anton Figs, the drummer on that record, because there was some weirdness in the band. And so this is um, <laughs> going down that rabbit hole. This is why it's kind of personal to me. Um, but so Peter Chris actually quit Kiss on May 18th, 1980, which my birthday is actually May 18th. Not 1980, but May 18th, 1980 is actually the day that Mount St. Helens blew up. And wow. so I'm from Seattle, so I'm not sure how popular that thing was around the globe. Mount St. Helens? Yeah. I'm assuming it's big. But I don't I'm know just... around the globe, but I definitely know in the States. Yeah. Huge. Yes, of course. But hey, Peter Chris quits Kiss and then a volcano explodes. <laughs> it's very symbolic. That's <laughs> huge. <laughs> but this this song the groove is i mean it's it's one of the first grooves you learn i mean that that fill you were talking about yeah. is super simple and the groove itself is just i think it's four on the floor sure, eighth 100%. notes in the hi-hat but it's so rocking it's so rocking and and it's so fun and it's so grooving and i kind of cajoled cajoled i don't know if that's the right word or not but i sort of um uh, I liked it. 
I, I, I got I had the opportunity to work with Paul Stanley. So mm-hmm. you can imagine how that would have felt like I'm walking into a room to sit down and rehearse with a guy that I've been a fan of since I was six years old. And actually not we I sort of I, I sort of hinted along the way like, oh, yeah, you know, I was made for loving you. That's like one of my all time favorite songs. You know, I mean, I'm not saying we should put it in the set list. I'm not, I mean, I don't know if you want to learn it. Do you want to learn it? I mean, we, we could. I mean, I guess we could learn it if you want to learn it. I mean, I yeah. learn it. <laughs> so. So, yes, that song actually made its way <clears throat> into the set list. I think I think maybe only once or twice, but we definitely yeah we worked it up and I think it made the stage once or twice. So that was kind of like an all-time like I can't believe I'm playing this song right now with the guy. Like that's that's <laughs> the guy. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I could see it would be so sad if like SIR that day brought you a drum set with only like two toms and you're mm. like no it needs three toms, you know. <laughs> Uh, like I should also point out too. I I I can't say enough great things about Paul Stanley. Like sometimes you meet folks like that, and you kind of wish you hadn't. Like maybe they're a jerk, yep. or maybe they snub you, or whatever. Not Paul yeah. Stanley, man. That dude. I don't know. I can't say enough things about him. Like enough great things about him. Super, super, super cool guy. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um all right so number two which yes. is uh, this is a great song, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. The yes. song is. Go ahead. Before you go down this road, <laughs> Ben, I'm just telling you, you opened this door. Like you opened the door. I so know. if there's anyone, if there's anyone who's tuned in to be like, man, I want to get some gnarly like fills and some cool rad licks and like burn and chop mm. out recommendations, <laughs> this is the wrong time. You're making <laughs> our, our fans sound really dorky right now. No. I- <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, this is not going to be like a couple of these songs fall under the like sort of typical like, oh, I see why a drummer would say that. But it's like when you set up a situation yeah. where it's like, oh, five songs, drummers. What? What do you mean Bonham's not on any song? What do you mean there's not mm. a Philly Joe Jones? What do you mean there's not like, you know, that? So that's all I mean. It's going to yeah. be a little bit atypical. Well, and uh, one of my most recent uh, podcasts, Tim Baltus or uh, Timbo from Kino on Instagram, mm-hmm. two of his picks were like, or one of them was his 2019 Nam experience, where that was the first time people recognized him, and it was that was his pick, you know. So I, it's it's I'm happy you're going down this rabbit hole, so okay. don't feel bad. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the song is the message from the album of the same name came out in 82. song from an era that you do not know ben because you are not old enough wait when we would literally sit by the radio with our cassette deck and to record on that cassette deck you would simultaneously press play and record and you would record through the little microphone that was about the size of a postage stamp on that cassette deck and that was the way that i would you know consume music as a kid so i would sit by the radio and wait for the message to come on and when I heard the intro, I was like, oh, it's the message. And I would and I would hold my cassette deck to the radio and I would record it. So I did that. <clears throat> I then proceeded to listen to the song enough to actually really like learn the lyrics. And so I knew, you know, broken glass everywhere. People pissing on us, you know, they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise, got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back, junkies in the alley with a baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far because the man with the tow truck repossessed my car. Like, I learned it. And so on the school bus rides home, I would just bust into my recitation of the message the bus would get quiet all the kids would sit down i would be standing up on a bus chair rapping the message and i would finish it and they would applaud these are my peers some older some younger these are my peers and so that song was like the second like ding like maybe this music thing holds something for you like, maybe this is a path you should yeah. be pursuing, right? So that was when I was 10 years old. I was in fourth grade, and I would and I would sing or rap the message on the bus ride home. So that's the significance of the song. So so when you presented me with the concept of, of the podcast, I immediately started thinking, like, meaningful songs, meaningful songs, meaningful songs in my life, timeline, timeline, meaningful songs. And Kiss was the first one because that was the earliest one. And I was like, I can play a drum fill. Mm-hmm. This was the second one. This was like, wow, I can do something musical and it is it is met with a positive with with positive feedback. So that's 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 well, the message. And then from a young age you you realize you had the confidence to be in front of your peers doing something that was I mean, rapping 
at it. That's a vulnerable thing to do. You're like, people could think I look stupid. I could mess up lyrics, but you had the confidence to, you know. I mean, that's a huge part of any performer's legacy is is their 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 confidence behind the kit. You know so. what? And you're right. Although I would say you give me a little bit more credit than I deserve, because it wasn't necessarily like I'm so good at this. I have confidence. Watch me. Watch me show you. It was more like mm-hmm. I don't really care what you think. Like, I don't really care. Like, this is cool to me, and I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so it's neat. And so when I would finish or do something like that, and people go like, wow, that's cool. I'd be like, okay, cool that you think that's cool. But if you had said, wow, you're an idiot, or you're a nerd, or you're a geek, or shut up and sit down, I still would have been like, okay, I don't care. Whatever. Well, that's why you're at, at where you're at today. I, I mean, mean, that's I the guess. better perspective to have. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I... I I, I'm going to digress a little bit, but it's very easy for people to get hung up on what everyone else thinks about what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? And and I don't even know if that's that's not a that's not even a kid thing. Like I experience it with my own kids, of which I have six, and so I see it happen in their lives at various points. But I don't even think it's a kid thing. I think it's an adult thing. I think it's a uh, just a societal thing in general. It's very, very, very easy to get to, to place too much import on what people around you are thinking about what you're doing. And so for me, for better or for worse, very early on, I really developed like a I don't I don't really care if you think it's cool or not. I'm just gonna kind of do what I think is kind of cool. And if you think it's cool, then great, and we can be friends. And if you don't, then call me a nerd and. Don't talk to me anymore. I don't care. So, well, I wish I had more of that growing up. I'll tell you what. And again, and I don't mean to frame it like I was such an insightful child. I mean, I think it's more like I was such a, like a, I don't know, cocky jerk that I didn't really care, you know? Hmm. And I, and I mean that because I was a bit of a cocky jerk. I mean, I was told so in, in college by peers and that sort of changed, that sort of made me modify my view a little bit. But um, okay. but yeah, but at that point in fourth grade, I was just like, I know the message and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to wrap it right now. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So number three is uh, Yellow Jackets and the song yes. is Sightseeing from the album Four Corners. And this is a drummer that I am so embarrassed to say I have not gone down the rabbit hole, but Will, Will Kennedy. So, Will Kennedy, now that's funny that you say that you haven't gone down the rabbit hole because I was literally just thinking before getting on. Earlier today, I was, you know, thinking about getting to chat with you tonight. And Will Kennedy, I mean, I think that Will Kennedy has had his fair share of magazine covers. I think there are, you know, a a, a very good, you know, swath of people out there who know very well who he is and who are very into him and who give him the, you know, put the respect on his name that it deserves. But I don't, in spite of that, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's revered to the level that he should be, if I'm honest. But people sometimes ask me about fills. And my all-time favorite drum fill is on this track. And it's not a ton of notes. In fact, it's very sparse. It's a very open, <laughs> very, you know, uh, space, space-centric drum fill, if you will. But it's one of my favorite, all-time favorite drum fills, and it's because of the phrasing of it. Now, the issue is you may have to go a good 
32 bars, 64 bars before it to kind of get the the, the weight of the impact of it. But that's why mm-hmm. this track makes my my list of top five because early on I realized like, okay, Nate, you're never going to be the Dennis Chambers. Like you're not going to be the guy who literally wows people by blasting them off the stage with chops. Like you're not going to melt people's faces with your chops. So you're going to have to look for other, I I don't want to say more clever, but other ways to express a certain level of, you know, whatever, it is that you do. And so for me, mm-hmm. it became less about how many notes and more about phrasing. And this that that particular fill, which I don't know the minute second marker, but that particular fill was what kind of started me thinking that way. It was like I heard it and I went, Oh wow, that was crazy. And and it's also important to, 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 to point out, Will Kennedy is a drummer of tremendous chops. Like he could have played a lot more notes, but the notes he chose to play made that fill more meaningful, more impactful, more profound, at least to me, going forward, than had he completely just filled the bar with as many minute subdivisions as possible. I can't. I can't listen to that enough times. I can't. Would you play it again for me, please? And I'm going to shut up. Of I'm just course. Gonna, I'm just going to let it. I'm just going to let that wash over me when you play it. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, I realize that. If you're into massive chops and and, and, and all of that, then I seem like the guy at the museum looking at the 10 by 10 square foot canvas with like one dot of black paint in the middle going, it's, it's genius. Like I realize that, like I get it. But at the same time, I mean, just phrasing, phrasing, man, phrasing. It's so beautiful. It's so eloquent. Well, and you'd be surprised, not you, but the ambiguous you, you would be surprised how hard it is to execute that in a good feel. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? man. Like, you think, oh, it's quarter notes and eighth notes. Okay. But it's like, you try and do that and make that feel that good. It's just, I just think it's beautiful. I just, I, sometimes when I'm trying to get into that, like, into that mindset, I just think I would play this feel starting here. I try to think like, what would a drummer better than me do here? <laughs> like, like if if I were that that needs to be a bracelet. <laughs> yeah, if I were better than I am, where would I start this fill? <laughs> it's kind of like that line. There's a great what would movie. A better drummer it, do there's, there's a there's a yes. There's a line. Uh, sorry, there's a movie and it kind of flew under the radar called Heist and it's Gene Hackman and and Delroy Lindo and and uh, Danny DeVito and so on. I'm a big movie guy and so I like my entire life is based around movie references but there's a line where uh, someone asked Gene Hackman like you know how did you come up with that and he just says well I think of a guy smarter than me 
and I wonder what he would do. And then I do that. <laughs> or words to that effect. So that's kind of what yeah, I do. Yeah, it's yeah. Like I, I kind of just think, like, if I were a better drummer than I am, what would I, what would I play here? So, you know, that's, like I said, I've, I've, I've over-talked it, but that fill to me, when I heard it, I fell out of my chair. Because, and, and let's also point out, too, I, I would have heard that fill in that, that, that band. What did you say the year was? 1987. 87. Right. So that would have been me. Wow. Well, that actually predates high school. So I would have been, at that point, I would have been in college backtracking, right? I would have been in college and I would have discovered the Yellow Jackets. And then someone would have said, oh, if you like this record, check out this one. And I would have been going back in time. So I was in college probably when I heard that. And so when I was in college, it was definitely all about like fastest gun, like most chops, like, you know, Mm -hmm. who's a beast. And I would have heard that and thought to myself, like, this dude's a beast, but like chose very specifically pinpointing targets, not spraying, if that makes sense. Well, this goes, it ties into exactly my initial compliment and how I stole the kick kick right left from you. Uh, which you again, you kind of formed it from what the, the one of the first fills that everyone knows, which is right, left, kick, kick. You just sure. reversed it and and made it into six tuplets. So it's but that's exactly what you're talking about, and that's what that's how what's what I associate with a lot of what, what you do. So you you are right now that drummer that you try and be. You know what I mean? Well, that's so nice you've done of you it. to say, and I appreciate that. And you just reminded me, uh, and I'll just touch on this very briefly, Ben. You just reminded me of something that you said earlier that I wanted to comment on, which is you said, and I'm not suggesting that I'm anyone's hero at all, but you said, don't listen to your hero, listen to what your heroes listened to. And that was advice that was given to me because I was really into Dennis Chambers, for example. And people were like, okay, that's great that you're into Dennis, but Dennis was really into Zigaboo. So listen to mm. Zigaboo. And Zigaboo, mm. through the lens of your other influences, is going to come out in a different way than Zigaboo came out in Dennis's way. Because Dennis had Zigaboo and the other 30 influences, and that made Dennis. Mm. You take Zigaboo and your other 30 influences, and that'll make you, and it'll be different from Dennis. I mean, you just summed up the whole thesis what this podcast's goal is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect. Thank you for summing that up in a way better way than I could. <laughs> you give me too much credit. <laughs> All right, so number four is uh, John Schofield. It's The Nag from the album Blue Matter, and that came out around the same time as Four Corners, but it's uh, 1986. And this is actually a great segue. It's Dennis Chambers on this track. <laughs> I didn't even plan it that it's way. It's almost like we planned it. <laughs> I didn't even plan that. I swear to God. Like, no one would ever believe that that wasn't planned. That was a really good... F- <laughs> you're a, you're such a pro. Wow. All right. Do you want to just play from the beginning? Uh, yeah, go from anywhere. Go from anywhere and listen uh, to as much as you want. This song is incredible. Okay. my background on the nag this is like the the lead up to this to this track so i had listened to something i don't remember quite what it was but it was some drummer and i heard him play a fill and this is when i'm in high school and i heard him play a fill on a record 
And I was like, ooh, like that's the best drummer in the world. He played a fill on a record. You know, and I took it into my next drum lesson with my drum instructor, Grant Menifee. And I said, check this out. This is like the best drummer in the world. He played a fill on a record. Uh, because I'm, you know, I'm listening to primarily R&B and, you know, whatever. And at that time, much of it was programmed. So I didn't hear fills on a record. So if I heard a fill on a record, obviously, best drummer in the world. And my drum instructor, Grant Menifee, said, um, okay, I mean, that's, that's cool. Let me play you something. And he put on that track. And I had never heard Dennis Chambers. And I had never heard music like this before. And I remember literally believing he was, he being my drum instructor, Grant. I literally remember believing that Grant was joking and teasing me when he told me that was one drummer. Mm. I thought it was a drummer and a percussionist because there's like cowbell and stuff in there and there's all sorts of stuff going on. And I was like, no, no, no. Uh, like, okay, but who's the percussionist? What percussionist? Okay, no, no. <laughs> Seriously, who's the percussionist? <laughs> that's, that's like one dude. And I was like, are you kidding me? And literally it was the... Now, mind you, I realized just a moment ago, I talked about how simple phrasing blows me away, et cetera, et cetera, and that is all still true. But in high school, yes, when I heard this track... It was like something happening on the instrument that I never realized a person was capable of making happen. Okay? And that's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Like that was that was one of those like that was one of those moments where I realized the extent to which what could be done on that instrument you know went to I didn't realize. I didn't realize I went to that extent. I didn't realize that those kinds of things were capable because, like I said, I was listening to primarily R&B, and so I was hearing drum machines and programs and things like that. And so the very idea that a fill would happen was 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 mind blowing. So then to know that that could be done on a drum set was beyond mind blowing. So yeah, the nag. It's funny that that song talking about you think there's a percussionist. I was like, he must be doing like a roll on the on the snare because his left hand is just going so crazy on that song. And so because of that, I was thinking what the younger you thought. I had to look up the video. I was like, I, I have to see him perform this beat. And it was um, it was from his serious moves, the like DCI yep. video. Yep. And Mike. Mike Dawson actually referenced that same video. It was a different song, but it was uh, with with Gary Granger on bass, and uh, that that video is is so good. You just, you just look up Dennis Chambers, you know, Serious Moves. It's on YouTube. Um, but yeah, he's doing all that just just so one little guy. <laughs> here's my here's my here's my Dennis Chambers offshoot story. So that would have happened at some point earlier in my high school era somewhere thereabouts and grant would have shared that with me and i would have been blown away and so then flash forward three maybe three years or so and maybe i'm like a like a senior in high school or maybe so, somewhere in that ballpark and we lived in columbia maryland at the time and my father was coming home from work and we lived near a lake called lake kinnamaquandy and they would occasionally set up these lake concerts where they would have a stage by the lake and they had a little pavilion there and they would have this thing. So my dad's coming home. He hears this band. They're sound checking. They sound incredible. My dad says, oh my goodness, I need to bring Nathaniel over 
to hear this band. So he comes home, walks in the door, goes, Nathaniel, get your stuff, get in the car. I'm taking over to hear this band. We're watching the band. They're incredible. They're blowing it apart. And I think that my dad's point, because at this point I was sort of turning that corner where like, I might, I might want to pursue this whole thing professionally. Mm -hmm. And I think my dad's point was he wanted to show me these guys and how good they were. And yet here they are and they're playing a concert by the lake, by Lake Kittimacwendi in Columbia, Maryland, this random suburb in the middle of nowhere. And he was right. They're incredible. So they go to introduce the band. The band, if anyone's listening to this who is from that area, the band is uh, Carl Filippiak's band. And if, if, there's, if there are people who know Carl Filippiak, they already know where this story is going. But if you don't, Carl Filippiak was Baltimore, Maryland's answer to Mike Stern. Okay, So Carl Filippiak's band at the time, he introduces the band, keyboard so-and-so, so-and-so. On the bass, Gary Granger. And on yeah. the drums, my friend, Dennis Chambers. And Dennis, you know, blows the place <laughs> apart. And I look at my dad, and I'm pulling on his sleeve, and I go, Dad, that's Dennis Chambers. And my dad is like, uh, okay, uh, yeah, so? Like, okay. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, that's not a local, struggling, burning musician who can't make a living. That's like one of the yeah. all-time great drummers in the history of all-time great drummers. And so we go home, and I'm pulling out old modern drummers. I'm going, see that guy on the cover? That's Dennis Chambers. Oh, see that guy in, in this ad? That's Dennis Chambers. Oh, see that guy in this ad? That's Dennis Chambers. So it kind of had the opposite effect, which is that I thought to myself, like, wow, like I want to be where I want to be that guy. So anyway, yeah. it was just funny. It was just funny. That, 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 that whole episode kind of backfathered. Did I just call it a new phrase? <laughs> That's, I mean, that freaking works. It did. It kind of backfired on my father. Oh, I'm writing that down. Backfathered. Backfathered. It kind of backfathered. Have you had, have you had the chance to meet Dennis? You know what? I've met Dennis a couple of times in passing. We're not, you know, we, we never necessarily became close, but I'm a giant fan and a giant, you know, well, giant fan. I don't think of Dennis as a gospel drummer. Because I don't necessarily think or know that he came out of that school. However, mm -hmm. I think that inadvertently, potentially, he spawned the mindset and thinking of many gospel drummers. And that's not to say, like, chops on chops on chops on chops. I just mean in terms of that kind of power in the playing. Like, Dennis, Dennis to mm -hmm. me... I mean, in, in, in a word, was just power or is power. That's what I think of when I think of him. So I think that I hear that kind of power and that kind of playing very much in, like, the gospel drummers of today, you know, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's move on to number five. And okay. it's the band Fishbone, and the song is Knock It from the album In Your Face from around the same area, but college, you know, late high school days, 1986. And it's Philip Fish Fisher on the drums. Mm 
That snare sound will never not just tickle my fancy in every way. Okay, so say what you will about the sounds, the mix, the any of it. The pocket of that tune is so killing to me. And 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 so here's the backdrop. So when I was in high school, one day. I'm playing in the band room, right? So I'm in band. I'm in band in high school because I'm a band nerd, and, I, and, I, and I'm in every incarnation of band. I'm in jazz band and concert band and marching band and uh, uh, pit show band and all of it, right? So one day, I'm just in the band room, and I'm just, you know, just playing beats on the drum set there, just having fun by myself in the band room. It's after school, and this head pops in the door, and it's this little skinny white kid, and this little skinny white kid says to me, you're kind of good. You should come to my house so we can jam sometime. And I go, what's that mean? Because I had literally never played with another musician in my life. So I had no idea what that even meant. And he said, you should come over. You should bring your drums over to my house. We'll play. And I said, oh, uh, okay, sure. So we arrange it. One weekend day, maybe it's Saturday or whatever, I say to my mom, hey, can we load my drums into your car and can I go over to this kid's house? And we're going to play some music. Okay. Kick snare hats. Maybe a crash into my mom's car. 78 Firebird. My mom was cool. Yeah, that's a cool <laughs> car, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she drives me over to this guy's house. I put my drums in his living room. He's got an amp. He's got a guitar. It's just me and him. He's jumping around off the ceiling, off the walls, off the couch, and I'm playing drums and we're just jamming. And that was the first time that I had ever played with another musician ever. So I'll speed the story up. He says, you should be in my band. And I go, all right. And so this band, Akamili, forms in high school. And Akamili is myself, this guitar player, a lead singer, and a bass player. And we become a little bit like, like celebrities at our high school because we're kind of like the cool band. So one day... This guitar player says to me, I've got this band. I know that you'll love them. And I say, okay, what's the band? And he says, Fishbone. And at the time, even though I'm playing in like this high school rock band, I also fancy myself like this jazz drummer. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm like, oh, I'm a jazz bow. Like I'm into Dennis Chambers. I'm into like this cool stuff, you know? And and like straight ahead jazz. And he goes, no, 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 check them out. Check them out, Fishbone. And I'm like, Fishbone? And he goes, yeah, Fishbone. He played me that song. When he put it on, I went, this is going to be terrible. And by the fourth bar, I was like, this is the best band I've ever heard in the world. <laughs> yeah. Just the groove, the pocket, just the, just the pocket, and, and like the hook and everything about it. And literally from that day forth, Fishbone became and continues to be, by the way, my all-time favorite band. They are my oh. Fishbone is my all-time favorite band. All-time favorite band. No preface, no no nothing. Fishbone is my all-time favorite band. And I owe this 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 person who who introduced them to me and I've sort of like set this up kind of like not that great, but are you familiar with a band called TV on the Radio? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 
Okay, so are you familiar with a guitar player slash producer named Dave Siddick? I wish I could say yes, but no, I don't. He's in that band. He's the white guy. Okay. Like that band is like three three brothers and like one white dude, right? Yeah. Dave Siddick is the white dude. And not only is he like, I mean, I'm saying that jokingly and I can say that because I've known Dave for about a million years and sure. whatever, whatever. We're like very, 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 very like best of friends. But Dave hooked me up with Fishbone. Dave was like the guy who introduced Fishbone to me and they became my all-time favorite band. So for that reason... Knock It is on my list because that was my gateway drug to the catalog of what Fishbone is as a band. And from that day forth, I mean, if they ever performed within, I mean, give it a 150 square mile radius of me, I was there. So I would have seen them, I don't know, I don't know, I might have seen them like 10, 12 times, <laughs> like over the course of college, yeah. maybe more. Um, anyway, any, anytime they were anywhere near me, I always made sure to go and see them. So, so it's interesting because flash forward, I don't know, 20 plus years, and I'm at center staging, and there's like Philip Fisher, the drummer, walking down the hallway, and I get to walk up to him and go, um, you're like my all-time greatest influence in life. I love you. And him to go, dude, man, I, I, you know, I saw you on that show. You sound great, bro. Whatever, whatever. And I'm like, holy cow. Oh, my God. He knows who I am. <laughs> you know? So, so yeah. So, yeah. So, Knock It was my intro to Fishbone. And Fishbone is my all-time fave band. And I owe that to Dave. And Philip Fisher is on my Rushmore of drummers. And so, I would be remiss had I not included Fishbone on my list of five. I mean, I can definitely hear that power in your playing. I mean, that's uh, your your looseness, but still being able to just have that power is is one of the the kind of the the building blocks of your playing. Um, and I did actually want to kind of talk about that, like how cognizant. And this is such a geeky drummer question, but your wrist is so like loose, but you hit with such power. How are you cognizant of technique when you are playing, or is it just? I mean, okay, so you're giving me. You're, you're you're giving me you're setting me up again. Okay. You're setting me up. You're giving me like the perfect like the perfect softball across the plate that it seems like we planned this, but really we didn't. We and did then not. I get no. to knock it out of the park. <laughs> yeah. So before before by by the way before I shift to that, I just want to say really quickly about Fishbone. Um, part of what I love about them is their eclecticism. There are no limits in what Fishbone will put on a record. They don't approach things with parameters. So their influences, which range from super heavy rock to funk to soul to hip hop to like, you know, thrash, ska, whatever. Yeah. Ska, they allow that to just come through. And so their records, and I mean, it's part of what makes them brilliant geniuses, but it's also part of why like the band, the band, Fishbone never did a blood, uh, a blood sugar sex magic. They never did a, let's get the pop producer of the moment and let's make a totally pop, mainstream, consumable, overall package. They never did that, which is why the Chili Peppers, God bless them and they're incredible, went on to super, you know, pop superstardom. And even though they were influenced by Fishbone, right? But Fishbone never quite made it there. But it's also why I love them so much. Now, circling back to your question in terms of technique and wrists. So my technique... Air Bunny's technique is a combination of a couple of things. I was in a lesson with my instructor, Grant Menifee, way back in the day. And at one point, and Grant would play loud, but Grant didn't play rim shots. 
he can just hit the snare with his left hand. It's really loud. And I was like, how are you doing that? And he was like, oh, well, at the bottom of the stroke, I'm snapping my wrist. Sorry, I'm snapping my wrist on my fingers. So here I come with the stroke. And at the right before the snare drum, I'm like, here's so the stick is still the stick is still here. And right before, bam. Bam. And that's where I'm developing that power. Okay, now take that, flash forward. We've already talked about one of my Rushmore drummers, which is Philip Fisher. Mm-hmm. Another one of my Rushmore drummers is Omar Hakim. And Omar, I would watch play, and Omar played, and like his arm when he played was like break dancing. Like he was like doing the wave. Like it was literally that. Mm-hmm. Like he like he had these like graceful like gossamer condor <laughs> yeah. strokes. So the stroke is this, and then bam, there's that. So I did a clinic once back in the day, and someone said, "How did you develop your molar technique?" And I said, "What's molar technique?" <laughs> <laughs> And they said, and they said, oh, that thing you're doing like this, that thing where you're moving your arm like this with that whipping thing, the whipping, the whipping thing you do. And I go, oh, I didn't know that's what that was called. I do this because one of my heroes is Omar Hakim, and I just wanted to look like him when I played. So it developed purely accidentally. So combine that, combine the aesthetic wanting to look cool like my hero Omar with the wrist snap finger grab at the end and that's where the power comes from for me so funnily enough it wasn't like like at at no point did I say how do I how do I be more powerful how do I create more power it's just the confluence of those two things you know um and it's funny because I have since like I've I've tracked I had a studio in my old home and and I tracked some drums once, and it was a track that was to feature another drummer. And it was like both of us on one track. Mm-hmm. And this other drummer came in the track, and he tracks, and he's so loud. Like, I'm sitting in, like, it's kind of like this, you know, where my, where my console is here. And the drums are there. And that other drummer started playing. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy is so loud. And I immediately went to pull down all my levels. And I look at the meters in, the, in my DAW and Pro Tools, and it's lower than where I normally am. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like the loudest drummer in the world. <laughs> like, I'm so loud. Like, yeah. and, and I never realized it. It's never something that I re- And I'm not the loudest drummer in the world and all of that. So Charlie Benanti, fan club, you don't need to, you know, blow me up. <laughs> but just saying that, that that's where it comes from. And so, and so that's why I've been very fortunate um, to not really have a ton of injuries and things like that because it's always from this sort of like loose thing and obviously i didn't create it i've seen steve gad like great videos like where he's talking about like his drum core that he did they did this crazy arms thing where it was very much like that same kind of vibe and there are obviously many others um so that's it so that's so that's the answer to the question of in, in terms of me personally and generating power as it relates to my technique and your you know drum drum question Mm -hmm. so that's that well there's just there's some drummers that i just love to watch it's like a it's just you just it just it's relaxing to watch because it just it it looks like everything's all the cylinders are firing in the right way and uh just watching you play um is that same thing it's just it, it it looks i mean it looks cool but it also looks like 
your body's working, you know. You want to know why? What if I said no? <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> then I would say, okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. No, the reason why is because, Ben, I'm five years old still banging on pots and pans. Mm. I just had a lesson recently where I was working with a student. And they were detailing to me their experience from their last band practice that they had had. And I said, oh, okay, well, you know, play me, play me the song. Put up the song and play along to it, and I'll watch, and we'll talk about it. And there was a lot of focus on what they were doing and a lot of staring at the hi-hat to make sure that, you know, that they were striking it in the right place and a lot of, like, staring at the snare drum to make sure they were striking it in the right place and, and, and some furrowed brow some furrowed brow yeah. and like some serious thought and, and very like intense thing. Mm -hmm. And we played through the song again and again and again and again. And each time I kind of said, okay, this time think about, you know, I'm going to adjust my, my thing here for a second. I said, think about your wrist motion here on the hi-hat. Okay, cool. Okay. Now think about like, if this song is grooving, it's okay to let it, make your body move a little bit. Okay, cool. And so they're still here. And I said, okay, now I'll play it. And do me a favor. Like, when you played it just now, I was jumping up and down and clapping and cheering, but you didn't see me because you're staring at the hi-hat. What if you actually look up and actually look at me? And then in that way, when we're connecting, you're sort of conveying a bit of the enjoyment and the fun that you're having of playing the song. And so we worked through it. Like I said, we played it innumerable times and each time i'm making little adjustments like that but one of them was oh like well are you enjoying this because now you're looking up but you're also grimacing do you like the song if you do <laughs> smile <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so those are the kinds of things that like i don't i don't think about it on a conscious level i don't think to myself hey nate convey to the audience that you like the song look up and smile I just like the song. I'm five years old. I'm banging on pots and pans. Mm -hmm. And so I look up and I go, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm banging on pots and pans. So, so, so like literally, even though nowadays, you know, the pots and pans, you know, behind me are like, you know, talk to your drum nerd about, you know, oh, it's this ply of that wood and this ply of that wood. And it's, it's this dimension instead of that because scientifically, yeah. and the heads are this polymer. Man, they're pots and pans. Like, I love them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not belittling the technology. But in my heart of hearts, I'm still in my DNA very connected to the kid who was pulling pots and pans out of the friggin' cabinet and playing with salad spoons, you know, at, at five years old on mm -hmm. the kitchen floor. So that's all it is. That's what it comes from. I just remember that always. I remember always the genesis of what, started this whole little crazy path on the way it shows <laughs> i'll just say that <laughs> thank you man thank you i just want to jump in really fast before we run out of time yeah uh but i i i realized that i mentioned my rushmore number one which well in no particular order but my rushmore number one which is philip fisher mm -hmm. and my rushmore number two or or two second of my rushmores which is omar hakim and the third of my rushmores is vinnie kaliuta Right. Yeah. And and I thought about like what Vinny, what could I, what would be good on this list of five for Vinny? But I found myself feeling like his overall 
effect and influence has been important to me, but I couldn't pinpoint a particular track that made me do something. Mm -hmm. And that's not any disrespect. Like Vinny's thing is more like an overall body of work. Like I can't really pinpoint like, oh, that's the one. So, so, so we could have done this, which is these five, or we could have done like this of all Vinny tracks and I could have just picked the, the five Vinny tracks. Right. So it was an overall body of work. And then, um, four on my Rushmore is, uh, animal from the Muppet show, <laughs> which I don't even really need. I, I, I don't even need, to, I don't think I need to even point out specific tracks for animal. <laughs> yeah. I love Animal's left-hand technique. It's really good. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. All right, so we do have to wrap this up, but, Nate, it was a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to many more conversations, but thanks for being on the show, man. B, thank you for having me on. I am honored. It is a pleasure. And anytime you want me back or whatever, or if you just want to come out to the house and hang, we'll do that. Whatever it is, you're the man. This has been a blast. I look forward to doing it again. That sounds great, man. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Peace. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.